Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington. And in this episode, we talk to Mike from Below Average Blogger. And this is going to be a bit of an update. I had him on the show. Honestly, I don't remember when. We think maybe it was about a year ago. And he had uh, three sites. He sold two of them. And one of them has a valuation, the one he kept, of roughly like 150K or so. So very awesome. We're going to dig into some of the details, hear about what Mike is working on now and what's on the horizon. So Mike, how's it going today? It's good, man. I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and us connecting again. It's been about, like you said, somewhere around a year since we last spoke. So it's nice to catch up. Yeah. And you you told me you did a bit of travel, which uh, sounds pretty fun. Do you want to share a couple highlights and, and maybe your method of travel as well? Yeah. So kind of the whole idea when I decided to work for myself was just getting more freedom. I mean, you know, like I know when you work for big especially defense contractors or government contractors, your life revolves around like their profit. And not that that's a a hit on them. That's just how business goes. But at some point you start wanting your own thing. And so when I started publishing, it gave me a little freedom. It gave me a lot of mobility. And my wife is a healthcare worker who can take contract positions for short periods of time. And so that's what we did. We took a couple contract positions through the US. And then outside of that, we just traveled in an RV with our kids and we went to all the national parks out West. And I mean, we went everywhere from Northern California to uh, Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, Utah. And we just explored all these places with our kids and had a blast. And um, now we're sitting back in a house and I'm kind of already getting the itch to go back out. Gotcha. And are you, uh, you're like renting a house where you're at or what was the situation that with that? Yeah. So we signed a one-year lease and I'm already like, dang it, I should have signed a one-year lease, but um, it, it is what it is. We're responsible for it for the next year. It's a nice little house out here on the panhandle of Florida. Um, so yeah, we're renting. We have no plans on buying, especially with the market. Who knows what it's going to do over the next year? I don't know if it's going to continue to move up, which it very well could, or just fall on our face like 2008. I don't know. So we're going to watch the market. And in the meantime, we're going to have a good time and keep traveling. Okay. And I was just like, oh, can you like sublease it out? It'll, it would be, you probably can't do this, but I'm like, oh, maybe you could like put it on Airbnb. But they, they wouldn't I, like that. I right? already looked at the contract. It's like, <laughs> they're like, definitely you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. That's frowned upon. So, <laughs> yeah. and then um, any any interesting stories from like being in the RV? Had, had you traveled like long-term like that before? So we had always been a very like outdoorsy active family, like tent campers or maybe a pop-up camper over the years. Um, but we never just like said, okay, we're putting all of our big stuff in storage and we're just going to literally live in this RV and travel for, for months. And we did that. And I'd say like the first month you have this weird feeling where you're like, oh my God, this is such a small space. But then you quickly just grow into that space for lack of better terms and you get really used to it. And it was a lot of fun. And then you get into a house after that for a few months and a house, a regular suburban house feels like a mansion right now. We're like, it, it, it's not big. It's just a regular house. But when you've been living in 250 square feet and then you go to, you know, 1800 square feet, it's a, it's a huge change. Wow. That's crazy. And I, I get used to my stuff. You know, I've, I have a couple of guitars and a few other things and just, you know, have space to, you know, stretch out and really make a mess. I mean, really that's, generally what we do, like clutter, (laughs) clutter up the house or whatever. (laughs) 
And uh, so, yeah, so did you guys have any challenges with like missing your stuff? Yes and no. So there's always that like grass is greener syndrome anytime you're doing anything, right? Whether you're whether it's your job or whether it's the way you're living. And so when you get an RV and you spend a couple months in it, you've got to like Tetris all your stuff. I mean, you're like everything you get is like a process. You got to pull out three things, get one thing, put three things back and make sure it all fits the next time. And so you start doing this like, oh, I wish I had a house again and I could just put all my stuff here and I have my garage, my room and all those things. And then you get it back and you're like, okay, we just fill these houses with stuff. We just put stuff in them. You know what I mean? Like life in America is about how much stuff can I acquire and put in my house? Yeah. And like in my garage, I want to get more shelves so I could just stack more junk up there. So I've resisted. So <laughs> That's far. one thing I love right now is I didn't have a gym in the RV. I could only do like body weight stuff. And so now that I have my garage, I was able to install a pull-up bar and we've got some, you know, free weights and stuff. So that part's nice having those options to work out from the house. Cause I'm not a big gym membership guy. Um, so I will miss that when we get back on the road, but not much else. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into the website stuff and, and quick plug for your YouTube channel. It's great over there and you do updates pretty frequently. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like, uh, how often, but yeah, people should check it out and we'll link to it, of course. So with that said, you know, they can get more details on some of the updates along uh, the historical video timeline out there. But you had three sites when we talked last. So let's start with the big one and kind of hear about it. Um, You can intro it as well. So people may have not heard the first interview. We'll link up to it so they can check that out also. But yeah, Set set the stage for that first site. How old is it? Um, how'd you do keyword research, earnings, sort of peak uh, traffic, and all those details? Yeah, so I started that site September of 2020. So it's just at one year, or excuse me, just at two years right now. Um, it's in the outdoor, like backyard grilling niche. I cover a lot of different types of grills and, and backyard stuff, uh, mainly outdoor cooking. Um, and because it was my first successful site, I, two years ago, I mean, I really didn't know what I was doing at all. I was kind of just throwing everything against the wall to see what would work. Because when you're new, like many of the viewers, probably you are hearing from all these different YouTubers and websites and all these different things you should be doing. And so I was just trying a little bit of everything to see what worked. And I found a lot of success early on with zero volume, uh, search keywords. So things that the tools were estimating having zero estimated search volume per month, I would end up getting, I mean, ranking for lots of keywords, but I would get a, end up getting a few hundred to a few thousand visitors per month on those terms that nobody was touching. Um, in hindsight, I do believe companies, SEO agencies are starting to tackle those as well, because it used to be like no competition on zero search terms, but now they everybody's grabbing them. Um, but nonetheless, that's how I got some early success within that first year. The site had about a $90,000 valuation. It had about at its peak last year, it did about $3,500 maybe in revenue, um, in a month. And then the peak this year was around 140,000 visitors with about $5,000 in revenue, which turned out to be a great, you know, summer for the site. Awesome. And that's, um, it's fairly seasonal since it's like outdoor cooking, right? Yeah, so we I see a ramp up starting in March, and then I see a decline starting in August, September. 
Okay. And you, you mentioned the zero search volume, which, you know, when I first started, no one was even talking about that. They, you know, we were trying to get higher search volume terms. And this was like nine years ago. So is there any like verification that you do with a zero search volume? Or do you just find a term that you think is good and then you go for it? Or how do you know it's a good keyword or not? So when I when I get those keywords with zero search volume, the first thing I'll do is just Google the query and just see what shows up on the first page. Um, generally speaking, if there are some authoritative sites who've decided to tackle that keyword, I'll usually leave it alone. Um, but the biggest giveaway early on was if I had any user-generated content on page one. So if I was finding forums and Reddit posts on page one, then I knew um, no big you know, sites had tackled it yet and Google still displaying user generated content. So that was an opportunity for me to put a blog post in there and take those positions. Um, I have evolved over the last two years. I still look for those terms, but I, I am now at a point where I'm starting to try to compete for higher search volume terms, but that's a beast on its own. Just, just breaking into those ranks and finding out the backlinks and and the approach you're going to take to, to cracking that top 10 on a, on a high competition search term. Did you write most of the content or did you hire writers in some capacity? So the first six months before I was making any real revenue, I would write everything. I would just wake up in the morning before I did my nine to five, I would write content. And in the evenings I'd write content. Um, I'd be driving down the road and I would do, you know, text to voice and Google docs. When I thought of something, I was just really like really diving deep into it. And then like you or like others, I would think, as you start to get money um, coming in from your site, it's not as easy to convince yourself to wake up early and write an article. Um, so that's when I started outsourcing and I made every mistake in the book with outsourcing. I would hire cheap writers on Fiverr or the lowest tier writers on some of the other writing platforms. And I would get junk back and think, oh, well, I could just edit it, make it better. But that becomes more work than it's worth. When you have a thousand word article and you spend an hour fixing broken English or terms and adjectives that just don't make sense to an American audience, um, you might as well have written it yourself at that point. Okay. And have you played around with any of the AI tools? I have. I've actually been a member of Jasper or Jarvis. I'm not sure which one it is at this point. Um, for for two years, I probably had, well, at least a year and a half I've been with them. And I don't use them for full-on writing, but I definitely use them. Things like blog outlines, idea generation. Um, when I'm kind of getting to a point where I can't think of, if I write it myself now, or I can't think of a, a, a continuation of how I'm going to keep writing this article, um, tossing your content into Jasper and just seeing what it gives you back really will like sprout new ideas and new avenues to go with your article. So I do keep it because it's a low monthly fee and it's actually very helpful. Okay. And I've been trying to test it out after, you know, there's so much discussion with uh, Jasper and other similar tools. So I thought, oh, I got to give it a shot myself. And that is something that no one has suggested yet, but it does make sense. And I'm actually, I'm going through some of the blog posts on Niche Site Project. And there's a chance because I have been so close to the content for so many years that I do have probably a blind spot and it may be worthwhile to, to try what you mentioned, which I haven't done before. So I will give that a shot. So 
you said that you made a lot of mistakes. Did you ever like, you know, crack the code for hiring writers that can give you content that's usable? So I never got to a point to this day. I haven't got to a point where I'm like, Hey, I've got these five guys or gals that I've hired and I just go to them for content. Now, if I wanted to cough up the money and, and really search for some, some dedicated writers, it might work out that way with some testing and some samples. But what I did is I ended up finding some success um, with uh, buy, sell text and text in at their higher tiers because the writers are pretty good at that level. They get the search intent for the most part with minimal instructions from me. And if it needs any cleaning up, when I get it back, I get it for a good price, but whatever cleaning up I do on the back end is very minimal. And um, for the majority of the low competition informational pieces of content that are just solving a problem or answering a question, they tend to get that right for the most part. Now, if I'm going to compete for something that I think has a higher search volume or higher competition, I'm either going to do it myself or I'm going to really look for paying a lot more for it to make sure I get quality work back. About how much do those services cost at the the tier that you found acceptable? I'd say it's about five and a half cents a word. I think I'm doing right now, which is actually a great price. But when I really want something more quality, I'm usually closer to 10 cents a word, eight to 10 cents a word. Okay. So something like 55 to a hundred dollars for a thousand words. Yep. If I, if I could do that simple math in my head, it's always <laughs> tough when other people are watching. Okay. Very good. And how, how many posts are on the site at this point? 254 right now. Okay, cool. And do you have like a regular publishing schedule and a lot more keywords you're going to go after? So I've been starting to slack on it and um, not because I don't want to keep growing the site, but I started another site and that kind of took my focus for a while and I had to buy a lot of content for it. And without much attention from me, that site just continues to do its thing. Um, but in all honesty, I, d- I definitely get worried about like, okay, it's been two years since my first articles were published. Do I need to go back and update those? Do I need to ignore them and just keep adding new content? And so that's kind of like a, a mental conundrum I have right now on what to do with those things. You didn't ask me, but... I think you I'll should go back and, and update them, at least the word on the street. That seems like a really good thing to do. And there may not be like fresh new information, but you know a lot more now about publishing. So you may actually be able to go back to your first articles and do a better job than you did two years ago. And if there is a, a change, maybe the features on certain products have, have changed or there's more data about it. So you can add things there. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, Sanudo. It's a tool that I just learned about not too long ago, and it offers six main modules and over a dozen individual tools. It'll help you plan and write content for your site that's optimized for SEO. You just enter your domain name and a keyword, then Sanudo will generate dozens or even hundreds of article ideas for your site, along with keyword sets and competition analysis. Then Sanudo will guide you with the optimal content length, keyword usage, kind of like the keyword density, headlines, subheadings, and so on for each article that you write. It means that most of the SEO and content work that normally takes you hours or days or even weeks, those are automated through one smart process and it saves you a huge amount of effort. 
The best part is that when you follow Sanudo's guidelines for content, your site will gradually gain topical authority and reach higher positions in Google. What I love about Sanudo is its serious approach to semantic SEO, including keyword grouping and topical clusters. With a unique three-step workflow, you can holistically plan, write, and track content that will put you ahead of your competition in the search results. Sanudo already offers great value for the money, and if you catch this right when it publishes, the Black Friday Cyber Monday deal is still going on. So you could check the details in the show notes here, but you could follow along. And if you want to help support the show, hop over there and check out Sanudo. If I remember right, like, did you take some of your own images and stuff too? Yeah, so I own a lot of these. And in fact, because it's grilling in particular, I jump on Facebook Marketplace quite a bit now that we have a house. And I will go look for like, Lots of these used grills that people are getting rid of for very cheap. And I will use them for content, for videos and images. And then I'll just flip them back on the marketplace for really cheap. Um, I've heard mixed results with people saying, you know, I've been hit with an algorithm update and I bought all the products and I took all the images. So it doesn't matter. But um, I don't know what the final word on is that yet. I don't know if anyone's figured that out yet, but I do find it valuable to, at least it makes me feel like I'm offering something original when I have those original images. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree. I mean, at that point, I mean, the thing is like, even if you don't build any links, you write all your own content and it is truly good quality. Like you can still get caught up in an algorithm update. There's really, there's no, there's no way to completely protect yourself. So in that case, I would think if you could put out like the best content that can help the visitor and that might include like original images, I mean, that would be more valuable, more helpful. So at the end of the day, it's like, does it help the visitor? And this is a kind of a, maybe a Pollyannish way to <laughs> look at it. But yeah, like if you, if you could do the best that you can and use your own images like that will be better than like the stock images that is everywhere else. Google may fuck it up, you know, in, in some of these updates, but like at its core, like you're doing the best that you can, which that is what they're telling us. I wouldn't necessarily trust everything Google tells us, but that is what they're telling us. And at the end of the day, like they do want, they want to like probably get most searchers the right information most of the time, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, Google also says, you know, buying links is against their terms of service, but they also have every ad on earth is a link building service selling links. So, I mean, Google <laughs> says one thing and takes money for another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The perfect example, right? <laughs> perfect example. So, yeah, and, and like what you're doing, if you have the ability, and it's probably kind of fun for you too, right? You're part of the community and you're like, all right, I could, I could buy one of these grills and like, check it out, test it, whatever, take pictures, do video, and then sell it again and someone else gets to use it. It's great. Yeah, I, one of the the best parts as far as that goes is I've had several companies be like, hey, we saw your article or we saw your YouTube video, whatnot. Uh, we want to send you this XY grill. And that's great um, until your wife is like, yo, we have nine grills in the backyard. What are we doing? You know. <laughs> I need a new grill, so we'll talk after this. Well, let me know. Yeah, let me know <laughs> what you I need. Actually, 
Yeah, I, I enjoy it too. Um, but yeah, if I if I buy every one that I want to get, my wife would be like, what is going on with all the grills? Yeah. <laughs> the one I'm currently using, no joke, I bought for like 25 bucks uh, Craigslist and it's like partially broken. I could buy another grill, but I like hate to throw out something that's like kind of usable. And it's it's not even like a a real, um, you know, Weber kettle. It's like the off brand of that. I, like it just popped oh, wow. up when I needed it. So anyway, I, I need to upgrade. So I seriously will talk to you after this. Well, the Weber kettle, you cannot go wrong. It's such a classic and it does so many things. Well, whatever. Yeah. yeah Different yeah. topic, but you're right. It's a, it's, it's a beast. Yeah. And I do have, um, one of my buddies had an extra, um, smoky mountain. So I have an 18 inch, um, those are yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's fantastic and, and holds up well. And I've smoked, you know, tons of stuff, you know, full pack or brisket doesn't quite fit on there, but I could trim it up and, you know, make it fit in 18 inches. It's good to go. Um, yeah. Speaking of that, um, I mean, I could go all day on the grills, but yeah, yeah. the, there's a company out of Georgia called Venom Grills. And what they do is they make, um, controller devices that fit onto classic Weber kettles. And they basically with a, with a, with an app integration and they can basically allow you to control airflow to your Weber kettle without you ever touching it. So you could put on, you know, a brisket or a pork butt and just from your phone, like it's one of those newer high end, right. Uh, Traegers or something. You could just manage the airflow. It's pretty sweet. Ah, uh, those are cool. I, I used to, um, yeah, we could geek out about all this. Yeah, stuff. They for... sent me one of those as well too. I've been playing with it. That's awesome. Yeah. The technology is amazing from like the first smoker that I got where I was like trying to fill the gaps with like aluminum foil and stuff. And it was just <laughs> a big joke, you know? So anyway, we're going so deep in the weeds of uh, something <laughs> irrelevant, but I mean, these are the details where like, you know, this shit, but if you hired some random writer, they wouldn't understand. And then if I would read an article, like I know all the little details of, yeah, like cooking, like getting a full pack or brisket. Like some people don't even know the term, but if the person, if the writer doesn't know, a qualified visitor or searcher would just discount the whole site. So any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's actually a, a super good point you just brought up. And it made me think of what I do with some of these articles. So even when I get what I consider back a good article for a good price at maybe that five and a half cents a word, um, a lot of times these agencies are hiring international writers. And even though they may be fluent in English, they're not fluent in American pop culture, American slang, American, especially when you talk about like Texas barbecue and things like that. They're just not going to, unless they're deep into YouTube videos, they're probably not going to figure it out. And so when I get an article back that says like, once your protein reaches an optimal temperature, well, that's not how, a, that's not how we're going to talk. You can say things. So I'll go in and I try to add a couple sentences that just make it more believable. Um, sentences like, you know, last week I was working on a brisket and once it reached the stall, you want to throw in those temperature, just throw in that lingo to make it be like, okay, this writer legitimately has cooked a brisket. That's perfect example. And those are, yeah, again, those are the little details where people are going to like an average writer will miss it unless they're part of the subculture. You know, they, yeah. they just don't know. Okay. Very awesome. So you have this site, you've been growing it for a couple of years. You're starting to work on some other projects, which we'll get into in a second here, but yeah, what's, what's the future look like for your, your main moneymaker right now? Yeah. So when I started this site, it wasn't ever like 
I need to make the site work so I can pay my bills, right? It was, let's just see what we can build. Let's see what it can do. And let's see what this turns into. And so it's at a point where when I look at last six months average, you know, it's doing about, I'd say around 3,500 on a six months average um, with a peak around 5,000. And it, it puts me in a place where I watch all these sites, including some of my own, have problems with Google updates and the volatility in SEO and the volatility in um, niche sites in general. And I obviously get that idea like, well, I don't need this monthly income to, to survive. So why not just take the, the capital and, and continue to if the if the business model works, if SEO works, and I really do understand it, then I should be, in theory, able to recreate this result again and again. So while I have this money, take it and run. And then the other part of my mind says, yeah, but what if this next summer you've doubled your income again like you did the previous year? And so you, you I definitely get that mental struggle. But I think if I'm being honest with myself, I'll probably end up selling it and taking that money putting some in savings, putting some into more projects and just, you know, playing with it that way. I, I'm going to make a, a call to the viewers and, and listeners out there. So uh, let us know what you, what you think either in the YouTube comments or shoot me an email feedback at Doug.show about selling a site that you've grown up and it looks like it has pretty good potential. And, and Mike, would you say, you know, looking at the competitors, like, do you think you could, double it? Is there like potential to double the revenue again? I might be ill qualified to, to say whether or not it would double again, because I'm only in my second year in blogging. Um, but I would say based on the trajectory, unless I get hammered by an update or for whatever reason, some, so I just, yeah, you know, update, lose a lot of keywords. I should in theory be able to grow more next year. But that's a gamble. And I'm not a huge fan of gambling. When I go to Vegas, I don't gamble. You know, yeah. I, I eat good and I and I go to the pool. I, I don't gamble. So I, the thought of like rolling the dice and hoping next year works out is not really something I'm in love with. Gotcha. And we were we were chatting um, before we hit record. And, you know, I ha I've sold a, a few sites and typically I waited too long. So something happened, right? It was either a kind of a minor algorithm update or Amazon changed the commission rates and it ended up costing me, I think, sadly, in both cases, something like six figures. <laughs> um, just a minor change, right? A minor change popped up and I sold just a little too late and it cost a pretty serious amount of money. So when you think about selling it and I was like, ah, you know what? There's no right or wrong answer. The great part is you'll get, you know, 30, 40 uh, months of revenue up front. And then you can do with that whatever you want. I mean, it's, it's going to be a pretty huge amount of money and it could be a, you know, a strategic acquisition for, you know, maybe a competitor. I would actually reach out to your competitors who are bigger than you and just say, Hey, I got this site. It's doing really well. It would fit perfectly into your site. They would potentially get more value from it than like an average person. So that could be a, a cool way to, to maybe like work with your competitors. Um, and the other thing is just in general, like if you sell, when everyone thinks that you're a little crazy for selling it, 
it's probably a good time because if, if everyone is telling you, hey, you should probably sell your site, then it means it's either stalling out, there's some kind of decline, and then it's going to be too late at that point, which is what I've done, sadly. So there's no right or wrong answer. You know, it may keep growing. You may, you know, have timed it just perfectly where that area is going to keep growing even more and then you're in at the right time or, you know, something could happen and there's just a lot of volatility. So yeah. Any, any thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's definitely the fork in the road for me. I don't feel like there is a wrong answer, like you said, because at the end of the day, it's about diversifying finances and risk and, you know, mitigating risk and working with what you can. And I, I do tell myself, like I brought up earlier that, if in theory, SEO and blogging and niche sites continue to work as they should, minus any crazy algorithm updates, minus any things that out of our control, if the business in general continues to work like it should, and I continue to be a student of SEO and a student of publishing, then I should be able to, in theory, recreate this again and again. And why not take this money? And I, honestly, if I'm being completely honest, I feel like I enjoy the idea and the growing and the building phase much more than the managing and maintaining phase. Makes sense. And I know um, one of my friends, I'm not sure if you know her well, uh, Shauna Newman over at Skip Blast, you know, her business model is to sort of grow sites until she grow them up until she can sell them for over six figures or so. So she has, you know, some on the, on the back burner, some growing and kind of has the process. Like you said, if it's repeatable and your skills are where they should be, then you should be able to start another site and, you know, sell and just keep the cycle going. So. Yeah, I think that's a good way to, good way to go. That's kind of what I'm leaning to right now. I I think if I'm just being honest, I probably will sell it. Um, But there's, it's just that little voice in your head, like, what if, you know, what if this, what if that? And that, that can be the killer sometimes. Yeah. And, and you know, there, there's going to be a lot of uh, different opinions. So I'm, I'm really, I'm hoping we'll get some good discussion in the YouTube comments, especially yeah, where people too. can go back and forth. But I mean, but the thing, like the argument is like, oh, you can just keep making, you know, 3,500 bucks a month, like indefinitely. But the, and the thing is like, that's not guaranteed. That, and that's the whole, right, yeah. the whole thing. So, okay. Awesome. Any other thoughts on this specific site before we talk about the two that you sold? Yeah, there's one small detail. And when we spoke last time, you had asked me about link building. And I said, I kind of stayed away from it because my experience over, over the last two years, it was either get cheap, shady links that I can afford, but they're probably going to harm my site more than they're going to help my site, or look for links that are outside of my budget. And if I could get those, it'd be one or two, nothing that would be really powerful overall. Um, and now that the site has made enough money over the years to where I feel like I have some capital to, to work on quality links. Um, I did do a niche website builder, Haro link campaign, and I had some really great results. I got some Yahoo home, um, Yahoo links. I got some better home and garden, real homes, uh, spruce seats. I got some really good quality backlinks with some really high domain, high traffic sites. And I've noticed this past month, a really big spike in impressions. And so that is one thing that's made me go, damn, I just invested all this money in links and I might be reaping some rewards. Should I use that as fodder to sell the site and go, Hey, look what you're being set up with. Or should I just say, 
sit on it and wait and see what happens. Again, I don't, I don't know yeah. the right answer. I don't think I'll ever know the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. And I would kind of lean towards the former, you know, you can, it's great for someone to like buy the site with like some potential upfront versus like a site that's declining. You know, you could potentially get a higher multiple because you're like, Oh, look at the growth trajectory that it's on. It's going to be great next year, blah, blah, blah. And if, again, if it's like a strategic acquisition, like the, the buyer will know like how their site reacts and maybe it'll be, you know, a perfect acquisition and everybody wins in that case. But um, yeah, I know what you're saying. You're like, I invested this money and now you want to like reap the the benefits from it, you know. Yeah. You don't want to give it to somebody else. You're like, oh, maybe I'll keep it a little bit longer. That's how that's how you get got, you know. <laughs> Dude, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think I'm going to go. Hold on, I got these great links, and I got this great trajectory. Let's wait and sell it for a lot more. And then this time next year, we'll do an update, and I'll have a box of Kleenex with me as I'm crying about how my site. <laughs> Nothing worked out. Yeah. I lost all the money. I mean, who knows, man? Yeah, that's how mine always worked out. So, but I mean, you, yours can turn out perfect. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, good point. And yeah, the Haro uh, services out there are pretty good. Niche website builders do a great job, of course. So, well, let's move on to the two sites that you sold. And if I got it right, you sold each of them for about 20K or so. Uh, no. So one went for about 12 and one went for about 8,000. They were small sites doing only a couple hundred dollars in monthly revenue. Okay, cool. So, um, did you start those from scratch as well? Yeah. So both of those were the very first two sites that I started. Um, the one that sold for 12,000 was in the camping and outdoor niche. Um, I did awful keyword research. I did awful writing and writers. I mean, everything about that first site was bad and, I don't know who bought it. Uh, who knows what they did with it, but um, it was doing about $250 a month or I'm guessing I, I have to go back and look, but, but nonetheless, it sold for $12,000 and I was happy to get rid of it. It was one of those sites that I tinkered with so much because I was trying to learn publishing and blogging and I got frustrated with it so many times. And you know, that, that ebb and flow of a, of a site when you're brand new and, and the struggles, I was just happy to just say, okay, it's gone. Someone, someone bought it and I've got some money to play with. And I rolled that money into an age domain with niche website builders, which we can talk about later. And then the other site was a dog breed specific site that I had about the type of dog that I own. And, um, it did okay. It was doing, I don't know, 150 to $200. It was only a year old at the time. And it was one of those sites that, Although I didn't mind holding on to it and seeing where I could take it, I was just at a point where I wanted some capital to try to reinvest in my grilling site. And ultimately, that's what I did. I was able to buy a lot of content for the grilling site and do the age domain to hopefully, in theory, give this new site with an age domain a jump start. Okay, perfect. And where did you sell those sites? Uh, I used Motion Invest. Okay. Perfect. And they do a good job, especially like, um, you know, Empire Flippers is uh, a pretty mature business at this point. So they've moved upstream and they don't have the sort of lower priced sort of uh, just smaller sites that are cheaper. Right. Um, so it's perfect for that sort of price range. Uh, w- was there much negotiation in there or how, how did the whole process go for, you know, both of the sites? No, that was actually a very surprising part. Um, when you list a site, if you've never sold a site, before you think to yourself, oh, I'm throwing this product out on a market and I'm asking for 
five figures, whatever level that is. And you think you're going to be getting offers and tire kickers and questions. That's what I expected. And it went live. And literally I got an email 20 minutes after going live saying your site sold, let's start the transfer process. And I was like, Oh my gosh, man. That, and this was a site I thought sucked. So who knows, <laughs> who knows what they saw. Um, and then the other site, they did negotiate about a thousand less than my asking of, I think my asking was 9,000. They offered 8,000 and we agreed on like 8,500 or something, but it was gone within an hour as well. So both sides sold within the first hour or two of posting and the transfer process was fairly smooth. Um, the killer for me and the killer for anybody who wants to sell a site are those fees, right? So, I mean, we live in a world where I could sell a mansion and my realtor's getting 6%. I sell a a website and somebody's taking 20%, which is insane. But Motion Invest just this month announced like like their three-year anniversary and they were cutting their commissions down to like, at my grilling sites level, it'd be like five and a half percent, which is, now we're talking decent numbers. I can work with five and a half percent, but giving away 20% on a hundred, a six-figure sale, I mean, that's nauseating. It just is. Sorry, Motion Invest, if you watch this, but it's nauseating. No, Motion Invest is great. I was going to say, yeah, they they changed that. Um, they changed that uh, percentage, right? The commission rate and all that stuff. So it makes sense. Um, so people could could check it out. We'll link up to that for sure. And I think the other part, like they sell so fast in the lower price ranges. And I, I mean, I even hear, I haven't checked in a while, but I've, I heard at empire flippers, like, you know, anything under like 50 K sells like pretty fast. If, you know, if everything looks good, that tells me there's like sort of a mismatch of like the, the pricing or the supply and demand doesn't match up. So like, should you have listed it more like higher? Could you have done that or any thoughts on that? It's, yeah, so that's actually, you know, I mean, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. but when you sell a site immediately, the first thing in your head was, well, shit, I didn't ask enough. You know, right. I, yeah. I should ask for more. Um, but what I did is when Motion Invest does their due diligence on your site and they look at all your metrics, they come back with their suggested selling price. And I looked at it and said, okay, that seems reasonable. And again, I expected tire kickers and and negotiations. So I thought, that price is fair. Let's just roll with that and see how it goes. And when it sold in an instant, I said to myself, well, I don't care what they come back with next time. I'm going to negotiate a higher selling price. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, especially when they, I mean, they obviously they're in this case, their incentives line up with what you're trying to do for the most part. Um, Cause I don't think they like can hold it too much along the way. So, I mean, sometimes with like real estate, the agents want to, you know, sell it as quickly as possible. But in this case, it's not like they're showing around a person to like house to house to house. And it's taking like a whole afternoon or something like that. These are like digital properties. So it should be pretty, um, as far as I could tell, it should be fairly like low, uh, time commitment on their part. But anyway, I guess if people are listing, you know, maybe double check and think, um, can we list it a little bit higher? <laughs> Just see if that'll work. I would definitely suggest that to somebody looking to sell. I would say if you're going to do it and you don't know where to start, take their valuation and then take the industry valuation that everybody throws around of, you know, 35 to 45 X and, and put yourself in a position where you have room to negotiate and you feel comfortable with it. 
versus posting it at that great price and it going so fast when you maybe could have got a couple extra grand or 10, 20 grand extra. I mean, that's a huge amount of money that you could be leaving on the table next time, especially at that six figure level. Yep. And you can kind of view it as, you know, paying for the commission um, and the, the brokerage fee, essentially. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you you sold the two sites, things went relatively smoothly. They sold super fast, which was probably pretty fun. So you get the money into your yeah. account and and then what happens? Yeah, so they uh they did a transfer process and I'd say it took from the time I listed the site and was told it was sold that day to the time I got money in my bank. We're talking like I don't know, 5 or 6 days a week maybe. It was it was a very fast process. And so um, kudos to them for having a good transfer team and taking care of all that without me having any drama from buyers or questions about logins or whatever. They handled it all and they took care of it all. Um, so I took that income. I set aside a portion of it for taxes. Yay, IRS. Um, and so then I started preparing to see what I could do with that capital to continue to grow ultimately the portfolio and the you know the business valuation overall um, for me. And so what I did is I purchased, I don't know, around 100 articles for the grilling site and broken up over three different services and maybe a couple months just cause it takes time to get that stuff back and publish it. It's a big process. Um, and then I also, like I said, purchased e, the age domain from niche website builders. Um, and I also put 150,000 words of content on it. So that out the door was around somewhere in the, gosh, I don't have the numbers, but somewhere maybe around $12,000. I think I spent doing all that. Um, and that's only a few months old, but it's in an evergreen niche of like a, a wildlife type niche. And I'm interested to see what it does. It's about four months old right now and doing about 5,000 visitors a month, but I'm getting a little nervous because I had this huge spike in traffic about month three. But then the Google algorithm hit and I had a huge drop immediately. So it was like a huge spike, huge drop. And now I'm back level, like slowly growing. And so I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if that's a penalty, not a penalty, but I don't know if that's the algorithm lowering me in the SERPs or if that was just a random testing or, or whatnot of my articles. And, and then we're back to a, a healthy growth. I don't know what it means, but I'm, I'm watching it and trying not to have be emotional. <laughs> right. Yeah. In, so you 150,000 words of content. So about how many articles will that end up being? I say I purchased 150,000, but I think at the time they had a bonus going of 10%. So I ended up with around 165,000 words of content. It's broken up about a hundred, I'd say I have 140 ish articles on that one. Okay, cool. And what are, what were the metrics roughly for that age domain, uh, maybe like the age and the DA, DR, whatever you can remember. Yeah. So off the top of my head, I believe it was around 10 years old and it had a DR 21 from HREFs with some very solid backlinks, um, from some big sites that were niche relevant and, you know, they fell in line with the domain. Um, as soon as I bought it and it went live though, like, because it had been a dead domain for about five, six months, you know, those metrics were slowly falling, not the backlinks. They stayed, which is obviously very good, but the organic traffic and the, basically the organic traffic and the domain rating started to just completely, you know, 
over the course of three months, just a steady trickle down to the bottom. And now we're at a point where if you look at Ahrefs, it's coming back up and starting to move upwards. Um, But a problem for this site that I've found is because it's wildlife and it has to do with wildlife on a global level, that's not just North American, it's on some other continents. My EPMV um, cause I'm split with traffic in, in, you know, the rest of the world. And so my EPMV remains pretty low and it's something I probably should have put more thought into beforehand. Um, but I was thinking evergreen, I was thinking, you know, animals or something people and kids will search on forever, which is true. But I also need to keep in mind the monetization and the, you know, the value to advertisers for a site, because I'm not a big affiliate guy. I'm more of a, let's make some content and just live on display ads. Okay. And that's something I forgot to ask along the way here. So it, for this specific site that niche website builders are working on or did work on for you, that's just informational content primarily? Yes, it's it's 100% informational. Um, there are some things affiliate-wise I could get into if I wanted to go that route. Um, but my goal right now is to build and be hands-off. Like we talked about earlier, of course, there's the option to go e-com and Shopify, but then you're you're managing things. And the more things I do affiliate-wise, while it's not products, physical products, or things that I'm going to be selling, I'm just, I'm kind of in love with the idea of creating content and letting that content make money on autopilot with display ads. Okay. And you're using Ezoic? Yeah, so I've been with Ezoic my whole entire time over two years. Um, it's been great. So my grilling site is in the like forty dollar EPMV or thirty nine dollar EPMV, which is a great EPMV. Um, and this site, it, this month right now, it's like a ten dollar EPMV. This wildlife one, so that's a huge fluctuation. But again, look at look at your 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 advertisers. That no one's selling anything for wildlife, but they're all selling things for grills and you know backyard stuff. Yep. Yeah. And I, I have a site where, you know, same kind of deal. Um, I actually was going after, um, some affiliate content and the informational content took off. So I was like, Hey, I'll lean into it. Started publishing a lot more content. And then I realized a couple of things. Most of the traffic was mobile and most of the traffic had like no buying intent. There's no products associated with it. It's just kind of random traffic for random information. And uh, that doesn't pay that well. So yeah, the EPMV for that sort of content, um, again, mobile, no product associated with it. It's not going to pay that much. No one really cares to advertise there versus, you know, there's a couple pages, a couple topic areas that there are products and those pay you know, a a range like in the thirties, like you're talking about where you're like, all right, I can make some money here. I just need to go find more keywords in that area. But you don't know. Now I know to watch out for that. Now, you know, to watch out for like international traffic and what that can mean. Um, Is there any way that you're going to pivot with what you know now? Yeah. So because I want to stick to my philosophy or not philosophy, my, my plan of not doing affiliate products, there's just limited affiliate products to begin with because of the niche. But the bigger thing is taking my content strategy to focus on North American parts of this wildlife that my site discusses, because at a minimum I can at least get that North American higher pay rate of general ad revenue. Um, 
versus focusing on wildlife that may exist and say, you know, some other countries that have a very low EPMV. And so I'm just doubling down on the wildlife specific to my niche that are going to be found in America, writing a lot of informational content around that and seeing what that does. And that's actually what this last uh, purchase of content was, was all North American keyword research for these animals. Um, and I'm going to see how that does as it ranks over the next six months and just see how that pays out and then maybe have to pivot from there or continue that strategy. Do you have any link building plans for that site? Not at the moment. I want to see how the keywords do on their own because it's only three or four months that it's been live and the content just got finished. All 160,000 words finished uploading, I'd say around July. Um, It's just very relatively young right now. And I want to see where the keywords fall. I want to see what rankings I get, what positions I get, and overall how many keywords I end up ranking for. And then I will look at whether or not I need to put money into backlinks or not, which I hate putting money into backlinks, even though you get good ones. I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't seen the value, like the real value besides having a great backlink profile. I haven't seen what it will do for me because I'm so new to backlink um, buying or building, whatever you want to call it. So it's going to have to wait and see, because I'm a little bit stingy with my money and I hate to give it to somebody just for it to, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it makes sense. And I mean, it takes a while too. The, I think there's definitely a trend right now in our sort of space um, and in our peers and just the discussion with the people that we hang out with Mike, where there's like a lot less link building than a few years ago. And maybe one of the best examples, this is an interview I did with uh, Ron Stefanski it's been several months. One hour professor. Is that, is that correct? That is? Yep. One okay, hour yeah. professor. And he did a ton of guest posting and like publishing new, super high quality, like long form content on one hour professor. So you could actually like people can go out and look at his site and then look at the link building that he did. It took a huge amount of work. And at first I was, you know, hearing about the results from him and I'm like, this is amazing. I want to get into it. And then I saw how much work he was doing and I thought, well, that's not for me. You know, he's a younger man than I am. So he has a little more energy and I'm like, I I don't think I want to do that right now, but the results are amazing. So he did, I mean, it was probably like a year to 18 months of, you know, just tons of guest posting, leveling up over time he roughly raised his domain rating from about 50 to like the low seventies and was getting just amazing links from amazing sites. This is all very expensive to do. He had a couple people working for him, his revenue. Well, his traffic went up by like 10 X or something like that. So it was kind of not that great. Went up by a huge amount. His revenue went up by a huge amount too, because he was publishing, reviews for really good um, like affiliate software and just things that paid well. So like it all paid off and it all like made sense, but it was a grind and a lot of, a lot of money, a lot of time, you know, there's a team working on it and there's just a lot of things to work on. So it can pay off, but it's not, not if you're casual about it. I think you really have to like be persistent and really like go in um, with the intention to do a lot of work. So, yeah. And I, did he do all that outreach himself or was he doing this via third party like service? He, 
did it all himself slash had VAs working with him. So he didn't outsource it to an agency. He had like direct freelancers working with him. Well, to echo what you said, I mean, maybe it's a little selfish, but I'm at a point in my life at 41 where I enjoy my time way more than I enjoy a couple extra bucks. Um, So I'm sure it is worth the grind and the hustle. And if I would have started this at 25, I'd probably be 18 hours a day, just, you know, outreaching and writing. But the reality is, I just don't know if I can talk myself into that right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Right around the same age too. I'm 43 and, you know, I interview some of the guys in their twenties and uh, like Forrest and Jamie are the the couple that I'm thinking of right now. And yeah, you know, they're 24, 25. They have lots of energy. I mean, those days I could go out and, you know, we drink till three in the morning and wake up at six. And go to the gym. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> now, if I, you know, what do they say? Like, I, I hurt my back because I like twisted the blanket when I was sleeping. You know, now I'm hurt from nothing. Um, you know, dude, that's so funny. Like <laughs> yesterday morning I woke up and my lower back was hurting and my son is 11. He plays football. He's like, you know, he's like tackling life right now. He's just into everything. Everything is high paced. And he goes, I stood up after drinking my coffee and I said, man, my back's a little sore today. And he goes, why is your back sore dad? And then I started to answer and he goes, Oh, never mind. You have an old back. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, uh, it just happens. So yeah, you, you young guys and gals out there, you know, take advantage while you have a lot of energy, you know, work hard and then you can, uh, maybe taper down a little bit when you get older and just be a little lazier. So yeah. that's right. All right, cool. So this, this is uh, one of the case studies that you're uh, tracking along and you're giving updates on your channel, right? Yeah. So as far as the both serve, well, Basically, my website that we discussed, I'm considering selling. I keep everyone up to date per month on the revenue, the traffic, and the ups and downs with that. And the age domain from niche website builders, along with the Haro link building from niche website builders, I share all of that every month because I feel it's super important with new publishers who are overwhelmed with all the options, all the different ways they could spend money. I think it's important to be transparent with them about... Hey, some of the stuff you can put money into and it will pay you back. Some of the stuff you can put money into and it may not. And so if one of these things fails or these links don't turn out to do great or the age domain turns out to never really take off, I told niche website builders when I started, I said, look, I'm going to share this and, you know, good or bad. I just, I want to be open and transparent with, with the audience. And they were cool with it, which I thought was a really good sign and kudos to them. So, um, whatever happens with any of this, I'm just going to share it and full success or full failure. I'm going to show everybody along the way. Awesome. Very good. Well, I definitely want to get an update in a few months to see, you know, how things are progressing along. And we mentioned the YouTube channel a bunch. If people want to check it out, where should they go? Yeah. So you can find me with the name, uh, below average blogger anywhere on YouTube slash below average blogger or Twitter below average blogger, or even below average blogger.com. Um, where I kind of just spout out random info and, uh, you know, share, share it when I think about it. Awesome. Well, thanks Mike. Really appreciate it. And we'll link up to all that stuff so people can get to it easily and yeah, we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. 
Thanks a lot to Mike from Below Average Blogger and be sure to check out his channel and site and see what's going on with him. Quick uh, request out there. So if you have any show ideas, questions you want me to cover, like for a mailbag episode, maybe you have a success story of your own, shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show and uh, just let me know what's on your mind, whether it's a show request or a topic or the success story. Or if you have follow-up questions for people that we have interviewed, uh, as you know, I often get updates just like this one from Mike. So if you do have uh, some follow-up questions, you can send me an email and um, that gives me a reason to reach out and get an update from someone and see what's going on with them. Have a great day out there. We'll catch you in the next episode.